Well, we're in week three of our series on habits. Uh, The title for today's conversation on habits is Lamb Chops, Beef, and Grief. Turn to your neighbor or somebody beside you and just say, where's the beef? Where's the beef? Where's the beef? So today we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to read um, this fascinating story. But before we dive into that story, I just want to come out of the gates and kind of let you know what we're going to be diving into, somewhat of the direction that we're going to go. So we, we started out by saying before we kind of dive into creating these habits and, and doing things maybe different in a new year to become um, really a, 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 a habit breaker or become someone who is more disciplined in some different areas of our life, we got to ask the question, well, not what do I want to do, but who do I want to become? And and then in week two, we said, okay, in light of who we want to become, what one good habit do I need to start? What thing do I need? If that's who I want to become, what do I need to start? And today, if you're taking notes, the big question where we're going to be diving into today is in light of who you want to become, what one bad habit do you need to stop? That's where we're going to be going. Bad habits. Dun, dun, dun. That's where we're going to be diving into today. So even as you're sitting there, I want you to invite you. Let's all get on the same page, okay? Now, maybe for you, you missed maybe weeks one and two, and I would say go back and lean into those because those are they're, they're critical if we're going to put all this together and apply it. But maybe for you, you don't even necessarily have to have the question answered of who do I want to become right now, but you can for sure identify and isolate out a habit that you want to break. Some of you in here and you go, I got 21. It's not just one. I got a lot. I got a lot. <laughs> Let me open the scroll and show you the ones I want to break. But what I want you to do right there where you're at in your chair, again, you participate in your head. What one habit right now in your life, a bad habit, would you say, this is something I want to stop this year. I want to stop doing this. Now, some of you, that one habit, That one habit, the thing you say, I want to stop this thing. Some of you, that habit is a physical thing. Like it's actually something that if I followed you around for a week, because I must have nothing better to do, that I could see you do said habit. I could see you yell at the kids. I I could see you scroll. And then see you scroll again. And scroll again. And scroll again and again and again and again and again. I could see you smoke. I could see you eat and eat and eat. I, <laughs> I could see all those things. I could do that. If I was, oh, oh, if that's, uh, you told me that. Now I'm following you around. I saw you do it. I caught you. And for some of you, it may not be a physical thing. Some of you, when you think about the habit you need to break, it's something in between your ears. When you think about the habit you need to break, it's a thought process. It's, it's a negative thought that you continually have when you mess up it's you beating yourself up and thinking I I can't do it for some of you it's a perpetual discontentment where you're always wishing in your head I I just have this habit of always wanting things to be different than they are right now for some of you I could see you maybe staring at the attractive person at the gym but I couldn't hear or see the lustful thoughts that were going on in your mind see we all have habits Some of them you can see, some of them you can't. And we all have the ones that we have identified that we want to break. And so I want to kind of see what we're working with. I want to kind of see where we're at in this. Um, If you're here and you would say, man, 
I may not necessarily have all figured out who I want to become, but I at least know the bad habit that I need to break. If you're here and you would say, it is something physical, it's something I can put eyes to, I can actually see myself and catch myself doing it, if it is something physical, I want you to raise your hand in a second. Or if it's something that you would say, man, this is a thought thing, this is uh, words I say in my head, or this is me thinking or fantasizing about something that I shouldn't. Um, again, I'm not going to ask you to admit what those things are. I'm just going to ask you to put them in a category so we can all get on the same page. Okay? So if you're here and you'd be like, for me, the one habit that I know I need to break, it's something, it, it, it comes out physically in my, in, in my body or in my words or whatever, and I can see it. If that's you, raise your hand. If it's something that's physical, you say, that's the thing I need to break. Okay. Cool, that's the majority of us. Yeah. Uh, if it's something that's more internal, raise your hand. Okay, good. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for your honesty. So, so here's the deal. Wherever you're at on that, whether it's something that's a physical thing or something that's an internal thing, I want to promise you today something that I believe wholeheartedly on God's word, that there is hope for you. And regardless if you raise your hand and say it's a physical thing or you raise your hand and say it's something on the inside, here's the deal. You all have something in common. And the thing that you have in common, whether it's a physical habit or something that's a mental process, there is actually a habit that is behind that habit. There's an underlying habit. There is this hidden habit. That below that habit that you would say, that's the one I want to eliminate. There is a hidden habit behind every bad habit that seeks to sabotage the person that God wants for you to become. That thing that you say, man, I want to break this habit. There is something underneath this that happens that we all have in common. And today I want to lean into that. Because if we can learn how to identify that habit, we may actually have hope to, by the power of Christ in us, break the bad habit that we see either come to our actions or we feel and know when we're thinking it. So that's where we're going to go. I'm going to show you what this habit is. I'm not going to tell you right now because that would be too easy. I want to show you. So if you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 31, pretty much at the end. I'm going to read you a super uplifting and encouraging Bible verse. Verse 31, starting verse 4. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. And when the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. Not a very encouraging and uplifting verse. I took you here because this is the end of his story. Saul was a king. He was the first king over the nation of Israel. And I could dive into all of his front story, but what I wanted to do today is I wanted to start with how his reign as king ended and work backwards and help us see how we got there and what led to him losing his kingdom and losing his reign, losing his sons, and then by his very own sword, losing his own life. So Saul became king, and he started out as a pretty good king. At first, he was somewhat reluctant to even become king. He tried to hide from the people when God had told Samuel, Samuel who was a prophet, priest, he was kind of God's spokesperson there for the nation of Israel. And uh, he said to God, God, these people really want a king. God's like, I wish they would just let me be their king. But 
God's patient with us, and he says, I'll give him a king. And he selects this guy, Saul, to become king. He's the guy who you would, if he walked in the room, you would go, yeah, he would make a decent one. Just by the way he looked on the outside. Tall, handsome, jacked. He'd be like, yes, let's make him king. He's at least a poster boy for what kings should be like. And so he starts out with some humility. But with God on your side, he does some things. And he takes some of the pride that should have turned into glory to God. And he lets that become pride to himself. And we see Saul, through the course of the book of 1 Samuel, make some dumb mistakes. Things that weren't like wholeheartedly just completely disregarding who God was and going off the deep end. But things were just little ticks off of what God had said to do, what the prophet Samuel had said, hey, when you get into the battle, do this, don't do this. And he had just kind of got off a little bit. And we see this kind of hit ahead in this story in 1 Samuel chapter 15. To set it up a little bit, um, God, if you, if you kind of know the whole story, God is almost kind of at this place. If you're from his upper story, you're like, I'm gonna, it's almost as if he's like, okay, I'm going to give him one more shot before I pull the rug out from under him. And God goes to the prophet Samuel and he says, listen, there's this group of people and they've done some really bad things to my chosen people. And because of that, I want you to go tell Saul to take his army and to go in and wipe out this people. To go and conquer their army, wipe them out. This group of people was called the Amicalites. And so God gives this message to Samuel. Samuel goes and tells Saul, hey, God has said that you need to gather the armies, you need to go and completely wipe out the Amicalites. Go take them out. Don't spare a single person. Don't spare a single animal. Take them out. How many people should Saul have left alive? None. Okay, just so we're on the same page. Okay, he says, wipe them out. Scorched earth. Chapter 15, verse 9. You know it's going to be bad by the first three letters. But, but Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves, the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised or the weak, they totally destroyed. So Saul gets 210,000 soldiers. Go in, completely eradicate what is the Amicalites, except for one grown-up, which is the king Agag? And then, once all the people are kind of gone, they look around, they just see a lot of livestock. And Saul, I imagine in his head, he hears from the ranks. He's got 210 guys. Now, I don't know about you, but I get tired watching football. Like it, it just, I get tired watching it. And these guys just went to war. And one, and they're out here on the field, and I imagine they're hungry. And they're saying, Saul, like, your God really said that we got to kill all this stuff? Like, this is prime rib, this is sirloin, this is lamb chops. I mean, we, we, we got to kill all this stuff? We can't take none of this back? I'm talking ribs on ribs on ribs? Why are we going to kill all this stuff? And they're saying, can we, not, can we delete, eat a little bit right now? Just a taste. And I imagine Saul going, you know here's the deal like what if oh, oh oh yes what if we take some of them back and we'll give a few of them and we'll give those as an offering to God and then you guys take the rest and we're going to have a feast you get a cow you get a cow you get a lamb you get a lamb 
And so he rationalized this out, and you can see kind of how the story continues to go. In verses 10 and 11, Samuel, mind you, is not there on the battlefield. Samuel is back home. And God comes and speaks to Samuel, who has no idea. He sent Saul off, said, good luck, man. Really simple plan. Kill everything. All right? Not a lot of wiggle room in there. And he's thinking that Saul's out there just killing it. Literally. And he gets a message from God in verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king. Footnote here, God did not make a mistake. He doesn't do that. He regrets that Saul didn't live up to what he called him to. Because he has turned away from me and he has not carried out my instructions. And Samuel was angry because the plan was so simple. And he cried out to the Lord all that night. Now, keep going to verse 12. Early in the morning, Samuel was going to go put a finger on Saul's chest. What are you doing? Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, hey, Saul has gone to Carmel. And there he has set up a monument in his own honor. And has turned and gone down to Gilgal. Um, Again, always, under any circumstances, it is a bad idea to set up a monument in your own honor. Never under any circumstance. If somebody says, you know what we should do? We should go build a statue of you in your driveway. Bad idea. Always a bad idea. And so Saul's head is big, man. He just, he just crushed this army. God's on my side. I can't be stopped. All I do is win. I mean, that's his mindset. And he's setting up monuments to himself. And I would just say, be careful here to not see yourself in this story. Because here's the deal. I have found myself susceptible of setting up monuments to my own honor as well. And maybe you have too. Now maybe your, your monument is not a bronze statue of you out by your mailbox at the end of the driveway. But your monument may look like a very carefully crafted image of yourself on social media. That you know is off from who you really are. Your monument may look like the corner office suite and all the titles that come with such a thing. But you had to cut some corners. You had to manipulate some office politics to get there. Your monument may look like a kid who has perfect grades, perfect test scores, who's a perfect athlete. But at the same time, they're caving under the pressure of the stress that you have put on them to live up to your standards. See, we don't build bronze statues of ourselves, but we have the exact same propensity to build monuments in our own honor. The story goes on in verse 13. It says, when Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. He is generally looking forward to seeing Samuel. He is pumped. He's like, hey, I did it. And I imagine, again, I watch The Office way too much. I just, I, I just see this Dwight Schrute look on, Samuel, uh, on Samuel's face. And he just goes, False. Um, that's what I see. Um, but here's the deal. Uh, self-deception was incredibly strong here for Saul. He's excited to see Samuel. He's like, I did it. I accomplished the mission. And I love the response. It is hilarious, the response in verse 14. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Essentially, Samuel was going, bro, do you hear what I hear? Like, there's sheep everywhere. There's cows everywhere. These are supposed to be dead. Like, did you resurrect these? Like, is something crazy 
happened here that I don't know about? What, what's going on here? These, are, these animals aren't supposed to be alive. You, you do realize that. You did not accomplish the mission. And Saul's response is funny on one side, but it's also kind of sad. Saul answered, and parents, you can relate to his answer here because you've heard this from your children. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites, and they spared the best sheep and the cattle. Here's, and again, he's playing his God card here. To sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. And you can probably relate to Samuel's response as well. Some of you parents or, or some of you people who have caught somebody else in a, knowing that they're in the middle of a lie. He goes, enough. Shut up. You're lying. And I know you're lying. Those aren't your motives. He says, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied, <laughs> a little nervous. All right, um, what did he say? Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, if you like to highlight or underline or write things down, I would say underline those five words. I found myself praying that a lot this week. God, please, for the sake of my family, for the sake of my marriage, for the sake of McDonough Christian Church, please keep me small in my own eyes. There, 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 is, there is nothing that may more, be more revolutionary for your faith walk than to pray that prayer. God, keep me small in my own eyes. Samuel goes on, what, what, you, you, thought, you used to be small in your own eyes, but did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? He's saying, you became king. The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission, a simple mission nonetheless, saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amicalites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Verse 19. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Listen to his response, verse 20. It's funny, it's sad. But I did obey the Lord. I did what I was supposed to. Saul said, he said, I went on the mission of the Lord to sign me. I completely destroyed the Amicalites and I brought back Agag, which, pause, uh, he's an Amicalite. Hello. Like he's just the most important one, but he's still one. It's like there's no end to the self-deception with this guy. And then in verse 21, he says, The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle for the plunder, which, leadership principle here, this doesn't have necessarily to do anything with faith and walk with Jesus, but here this is a straight-up leadership principle. It will help you be a better spiritual leader. But if you are in a leadership a place in your life, you're a manager, you're a mom, you're a dad, you're a leader. Here's what leaders do. Leaders take responsibility. If someone under them is the one who messes up, they still take that ownership. Because you know it just like I know it. One of the fastest things to admit that you have guilt and that you are guilty of whatever the thing is, is you deflect blame to other people or you deflect and call out the thing that they did wrong. That's the fastest way to essentially admit I am guilty and I did screw up. And he says the soldiers did it. They took the plunder. They took the best. And they devoted it to God, though. Again, yeah, we did bad things, but we did bad things devoted to God. 
as if that excuses it. We see in verse 22, Samuel's reply. Great question here. Great question for me, great question for you. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? And a great, great line here. He says, to obey is better than to sacrifice. And God, God doesn't need you to do your plan, to do your thing, to sacrifice these things. What God needs is your obedience. He says to heed is better than to the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. To which I think Saul, in his mind, just the same way we would be, he would go, I, have not, I didn't reject him. I didn't reject his word. I, have no, I never reject God. I still love God. I believe in God. But here's the deal, and this is where it hit me this week, is this reality that if God has spoken and God has made it clear what the course of action, what the plan is, if I delineate from what that is one iota, I have now rejected him. Because here's the deal. His word is his word. And for us, man, when we look at this story of Saul, and we look at where it went full circle to, what happened after this, again, God said, I have rejected you as king. Samuel then even rejected his ability to be the priest who, who followed along with him. And in the backstory, kind of what's going on in the background here is, is Samuel has gone and he's went to the house of Jesse and he's uh, essentially anointed David to become the next king. All this is just prophecy, which is this awesome story, um, to, to answer the prayer of Samuel's mom, Hannah, who is desperate to have a child, who told that she was gonna, when told she was going to give birth, she sang this poem. And in this poem, she said this line, God gives favor to the humble, but he opposes the proud. And Samuel, the priest, his mother's prayer is coming to fruition through these two kings. That God is now saying, I oppose this proud man who thinks that he can go his way. And I'm going to raise up a shepherd boy who's going to slay giants. Because his heart is right with me. And he's a friend of mine. And here in this story, we see this hidden habit. We see it all throughout Saul's life, and I've seen it in my own life. This is the habit that caused his story to end terribly. And it's the same habit that's working to get your story to end terribly as well. So what's the habit? What's the bad habit that is behind every bad habit? If you're taking notes, the bad habit behind every bad habit is rationalization. Rationalization. Because here's the deal. Before you do whatever your bad habit is to do, what do you do? You talk yourself into doing it. Before that good habit, that thing you wanted to start doing after last week. This week, when you didn't do it, what did you do? You talked yourself out of it. How many of you would be bold enough and brave enough to admit, even within the, 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 the course of this room, how many of you would be brave enough to admit that this past week, you either talked yourself into doing something that you knew was a bad habit, or you talked yourself out of starting something that you knew would have been a good habit. Raise your hand. Anybody? Anybody, anybody talked ourselves into or out of something that they wish they wouldn't have done or, not, or, or would have done? Yeah, that's everybody. 
It's the reason we say, oh, I stayed up so late last night, I, I, I'm going to skip my quiet time this morning. It's the reason we say, well, that was on sale, so I bought 17. <laughs> well, they're, they're probably super busy, so I'm, I'm not going to bug them. I'm not, I'm not going to call them. I know I haven't talked to them in weeks and weeks and weeks, but they're, they're, I'm, pro- I'm sure they're super busy. See, I wanted, before we start talking about what habits we need to stop, we have got to lean into this habit of, of rationalizing when these things happen. Because this is what, this is what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians uh, 10.5. Or, or yeah, 10, he, he said, take every thought captive. And so for us, here's the deal. As much as your bad habit is a habit, your rationalization of talking yourself into that habit is even more of a habit. And here's the deal. Some of you are Olympic level rationalizers. You can talk yourself into almost anything, or you can talk yourself out of almost anything. Here's the deal. You can find, I mean, a good reason to do almost anything. And you've experienced this in your own life. And it's this this habit. But here's what I want you to do. I am showing you this habit so that you can now allow this hidden assassin against the person that God has called you to be to not be hidden anymore. So that when you start to say, this is who I want to become, and this is the habit that I want to start, once you get that temptation moment, when the alarm goes off, and is even as groggy as the thought process is to go, I really want to sleep in. It's super cold outside. I don't want to run. I don't think my yoga pants are clean. <laughs> not mine. I do not wear yoga pants. Um, To go to catch yourself there and go, no, 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 no. Oh, that, that's it. That's the habit I need to kill. That's the one that needs to go. So see, when we can understand the hidden habit, then we can begin to tackle at full force with some momentum the habit that you can see or that habit that's in your mind. Because here's the deal. So many of us, the habits being able to be gone or whether or not it's going to stay, it's right here. And our ability to say, I'm not going to let my ability to rationalize myself into or out of good or bad be what sabotages who I believe God is calling me to become. So we talked about this habit loop last week. And we talked about if we want to start a good habit, we have got to make the trigger so obvious. we got to be able to see it right there. And we got to make the action really easy. So I'm going to put my Bible out on my pillow. I'm going to put it under my pillow at night. Or if if I'm going to, um, if the habit I want to start, I'm not going to go and do something incredibly hard. I'm going to start, man, if I'm just going to read two verses a day and then see where that goes. I'm going to pray my wife one time a week and see where that goes. So that's good, the good habit side of the, the, the habit loop. I want to talk to you about how to stop the bad habits and use the habit loop to show you as well. So we're going to show this up here. If we want to stop habits, here's what we have to do. And this, again, this is, this is in those three books that I recommended to you. If you need to know what those are, again, I'll come at this. This is, this is, Scripture is true on this, but here's a way to be able to see it. This is what science is backing up to say, if we want to stop a habit, what we have to do is remove the trigger. Remove the trigger. Remove whatever is that thing that tempts you to do that thing that is your bad habit. We've got to remove that. And then what we have to do is we have to interrupt the routine. We have to interrupt the action. So for you, think about whatever that bad habit is that you have. What are its triggers? What triggers that bad habit? There's a verse that helps us, help, has helped me um, 
begin to identify my triggers and know what to do with them. It's Proverbs 4, 14 and 15. Absolute great verse. David's son, who became the man who had more wisdom than any human being, he wrote this book that is the book of Proverbs. And through this book, he wrote it as to be wisdom that he would pass on to his son so that they could carry on this kingdom that he started with his father David. And he's writing here, and he's, as he's giving this advice to his sons that applies so wholeheartedly to us, this is what he says in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 4. He says, Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. He is saying, remove the trigger. And then in four different ways, he says the same thing, like us as parents. I mean, he's just reiterating over and over again. He says, avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it. Go your own way. He is overemphasizing how important it is to remove and to get away from, to not play around with, to not just think, oh, mm, I see those donuts. What do, those look, what do they look like? Oh, that's, I see them. Mm. And then we walk away. But I wonder what they smell like. Oh, yes, that's maple bacon. That's powerful. And then a little bit of time goes by. But what do they feel like? Is it, is it a squishy donut? Is it crispy on the outside? And we do this. And like, okay, cool, cool. And then we come back and we cut it in half. And we just eat a half because a half is better. And then we go, ah, oh, man, I eat a half. I better eat seven. And... He's saying, don't set foot. Like, don't go to the break room. And that's a silly, that's a simple example. But man, there's so many times where we have real life, hardcore examples in our lives. Where we set foot in those. And so it's key that we know our triggers. There are five key triggers. I want to show you those to you. Here's what they are. A place, a time, a mood, a moment, and people. I'll talk about kind of place and time. You know, in Saul's story, the place and time, anytime he was in the battlefield, that was when there was this trigger for him to do something stupid. I don't know if he got nervous. I don't know if he never had the God confidence that it took to just trust that God's plan was going to work in the field of battle. But he did all these silly things in the battlefield that caused him to undermine what God had said and to do things that he thought were right. And we all have our places in time, too, where we're most triggered to do the thing. Because there are certain places and certain times when you're susceptible, and you know good and well there are places where you're not. There's not a whole, like, I've never walked into one of our bathrooms here at church on a Sunday and, like, smelt marijuana. I don't think there's any of us who may struggle with marijuana who are really struggling it while we're at church. The same deal, like, you're not, a, you're, not a, you're not at life group trashed. There's a certain time and a certain place where you'll do those things, and you know what those are. There's a certain time when you feel most susceptible to go there. There's a certain time when it's easier to do that thing. The same way, there's a mood. You get in a certain mood, it's easy to go that way. You get in a fight with your spouse, it's easy to call up a few people and bash them. And vent. And just talk about whether it's a mama, whether it's a brother-in-law, whether it's an uncle, whether it's a bunch of girlfriends or guy friends, whatever. It's easy to do that. One of the best, if you ask my wife, you say, hey, what's one of the best marriage advice you ever got? She will tell you to this day, never say anything negative about your husband to anybody other than your husband. And it's, I have got to hear a lot of negative things. <laughs> it's been great. Um, but here's the deal. I would much rather I heard them. 
And it's not just something that goes for her saying to me, it's, it's the same thing. And both ways. So for us, man, it helps. What do you do when you're lonely? Do you do that habit that you always, that you know you want to break? Does it happen when you're lonely, when you're alone at the house? Do you begin to tell lies and stretch who you are when you're a group of people to try to be something that you're not? Every time you get in the car, do you feel a, a, like an urge to do something? I'm not saying walk or skateboard or something, but you got it, it's never going to be removed until you find something to replace it. And so we've got to go there as well. And the last one is people. And this one's hard because the other things are probably not going to get as mad as you, I'm mad at you when you stop going there. The bar is not going to miss you like your kids do. But your drinking buddies will. And so Paul made it very clear. He said, bad company corrupts good character. And I've, I've said it before, I think, from this stage. But if not, I'll say it again. Like, you essentially are the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. And so maybe that means we need to get some people out of our life. Now, Saul, we see this even in his story. Who did he, for right or for wrong, give as the reason that all the cows weren't dead? All the soldiers. Who I imagine, if you have even a small fraction of 210,000 guys coming up to you and going, bro, we got to kill all these cows. You're going to think to go, they did a really good job today. Maybe we should not kill all of them. Oh, and then we can give some to God too. That'll be good. And it's the people. And so last week, last week we, we, we said, we, we talked about the life of Jesus. And we made this point that when the bottom falls out of life, what we default to is our habits. And that's, why that's actually why God kind of wires them into us, that when life falls out and we get into crisis mode, we don't have to think about what to do. We just do it. So when, you know, we get a cancer diagnosis, we go straight to the word. We go straight to prayer. We tell our life group first. When a, a big fight happens in our marriage, I don't run to a bottle. I, I run to the guys in my J-man group, my, 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 my men who I can trust that, man, hey, these guys are going to hear me out. They're going to know my story. They're going to help me through this. And we made this point last week that I'll make again today that healthy habits give us hope when life gets hard. Now, I want to extend that a little bit to say this. If healthy habits give us hope when life gets hard, then the reality is there is no greater threat to your hope in this life than your ability to rationalize yourself out of who God is calling you to be. That's the greatest threat to your hope, is your ability to rationalize yourself out of the good habits that God wants you to start. And so that's why we've got to take these thoughts captive. And you look at the story of Saul, you can ask yourself the question of like, why did Saul kill himself? Why did he end it all? Like he could, he, he's a king, he's a warrior. But why, did he, why did he fall on his sword? Why did he kill himself? Now, yes, he, he was injured in battle, but the game wasn't over. Why did he fall on his sword? See, I, believe fall, I believe he fell on his sword. I believe he killed himself because Saul lost hope. And he lost hope because he knew that God had rejected him as king. And God rejected him as king because Saul had habitually rationalized that his plan was better than God's plan. And see, guys, that's how the enemy works. 
He's not trying to get you to just wholeheartedly abandon an about face to God. He wants you to just turn a little bit. That's why when the snake slithered up to Eve, he said, ah, you, you can't eat any fruit. Well, I can eat some fruit, but just not that fruit. And he said, God surely didn't say you can't eat that fruit. And then Eve goes, yeah, maybe so. And he, she eats it. And then she passes the applesauce to Adam. And he eats it. It's this rationalization. And man, if, there's, if we don't learn anything from the life of Saul, let us learn this. Don't rationalize today what you will regret tomorrow. You've got to play these things out. Again, if we become what we perpetually do, then play your bad habit out 5, 10, 20 years. I, I'm willing to bet that if Samuel had came to Saul before all of this would have happened and told him, hey, listen, you're going to be out there on the battlefield. You're going to be tempted to bring some cows home with you. Don't even bring home one piece of baloney. Leave it on the field. Or you're going to die in a battlefield. And your sons are going to die in a battlefield. And your crown is going to be over. And you're going to be infamous throughout history. I believe wholeheartedly Saul would have killed the cows, the king, and the sheep. But the enemy doesn't show you the hook. He hides it. And I don't want you to rationalize. Because, man, I've sat in counseling sessions and, I, and I've heard the stories. And, and the people, you know, an affair happens. And we'll, we'll summarize a whole season of life and just say, yeah, and then I was in a really lonely spot and, and we had an affair. And people go, I never knew this would have cost me my kids being willing to talk to me. I never knew that this would have cost me all it did. I never knew I would lose my job. I never knew that I would lose all of this. And Satan's not going to show you that. But you have got to get to this place where you go, I'm not going to rationalize something that I know I will probably later regret. Because here's the deal, and this is what I was thinking about this week, man. And this is, I don't have my phone on me somewhere else. Um, I turned my phone, my smart, my incredibly smart phone into a dumb phone this week. And removed apps, removed um, all sorts of different things, removed the browser, removed even the ability to download a new app. Jessica now has control of all of those things. Because I just got to this place where I said, and again, it, it went against all rationale, but I said, why would I not eliminate a temptation today that I know I'm probably going to have to face tomorrow? I, I would rather eliminate it today and not face it tomorrow. And, and that's the thing, that's when we talk about remove the trigger. Just get it out of there. And so the question I have for you today is, is will you rationalize or will you run? Will you rationalize the sin? Will you continue to thought and, and do the thought process or will you run? And not run away, just aimlessly running away, but will you run to the person that you know deep down inside God has created you to be? And here's what I want you to know. There's this verse I love. I love it. It's in, in Zechariah 4.10. And then New, New Living Translation, it translates like this. It says, do not despise small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. What this means is, man, God is not up in heaven 
saying, I'm waiting on you to get clean for a year, and then we're going to party up here. It's going to be crunk. We're going to go nuts. Angels in heaven, we're going to be excited because you hit your one-year anniversary. God says, you didn't order alcohol at lunch today, and all of heaven goes nuts. One small step. Do not despise a small beginning. He's saying, hey, you walked for a mile this afternoon. Way to go. I'm so excited. You, you're going to see more years with your grandkids. You're going to be able to be there with them. I need you to keep going, keep walking, keep doing these things. Hey, you tithe. You started to trust me with what I've already given you. I can't wait. I'm rejoicing because I can finally, because you trusted me, I can finally give you more. You volunteered to serve one Sunday a month. I don't need you to serve 17 Sundays out of the year. I just need you to serve one Sunday. I need you to serve one Sunday. I'm going to rejoice because you're being obedient to me in small things. You pray with your wife one night a week. I believe all of heaven, men of God, rejoices when we hold our wives' hands and pray because the enemy has a full-fledged attack on our families. And he's rejoicing because us holding our hand, her hand, is essentially us picking up a sword and saying, I'm going to battle here protect my family, to protect this marriage, and to fight for what matters. And he rejoices over those very small things. See, we underestimate so much what small, good, right, submissive choices to God. We underestimate so much how compounding effect and the long-term good that those things can bring. And at the same time, we wholeheartedly underestimate what the bad habits will lead to. So today, I, I leave you with this cautionary tale from the life of Saul to not rationalize something that you know will later lead to regret, but to take today and let it be a place where you take a small beginning, a small step in his direction. Getting ready to enter into a time of communion. And through this time of communion, we're going to do it a little bit, um, it's, it, you've probably done it this way at MCC before, it'll be the first time since I've been here, but what we're going to do is we're going to pass out communion, and I don't want you to take it. I want you to take it, and I want you to hold on to it. We're going to take communion today as a family, as a whole church family, we're going to take it somewhat in unison. As we look at this body of Christ that was broken for us, and this blood of Christ that was poured out for us, and here's the deal. When we talk about these habits... Our only hope in being able to get through these is not your self-will, it's not your determination, it's not even in your ability to capture the rationalization and turn it the other way. It's in you seeing and savoring what Christ did in the victory that he put on full display on the cross. And that's why as a church, at MCC, we have communion every single week so that you can come and you can sit down and you can hold this in your hands and go, there is victory in this, in my Savior, in Jesus and it's by him and through him that the chains and the bonds of my sin have officially now and forevermore been broken. Any that I choose to remain to live in, I chose to remain to live in. So I'm going to pray. Again, take the communion and hold it. We're going to take it together. Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken. We thank you for your blood that was poured out. We long to meet with you today, to 
to speak to our hearts deep on the inside in a more real way than we may have ever experienced before. Not just for our sake, but for the sake of what hangs in the balance that we have no idea is even hanging in the balance right now. Meet with us here in your name.